Uh, welcome to Crowning Garage. This is Corey Cole. I'm Freddie Wolf. Uh, we recorded this back in early November and uh, life being what it is and COVID grabbing a hold of my balls and saying, you're not doing anything for two weeks. That kind of hindered us recording um, the, our December episodes a little bit more timely. So instead of doing a kickstart this week, uh, we're going to go ahead and drop this movie that should have been <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. But this is part of our buddy cop kind of series. And uh, you already know what it is. It's, it's deep cover. Deep cover. Bill Dukes. Lovely, fucking wonderful, fantastic uh, genre bending edition from 1992. And we talked quite a bit in the episode about uh, this is Lawrence Fishburne still as Larry. I think the last time he was Larry. Yeah, this is the last time we saw Larry Fishburne. And he excels in it. Everybody, the cast kicks ass. And this is such a fun, fun episode too. Yeah, man. Enjoy it. It was like, we had planned it on to be in the last episode of the series and for good reason too. And I'm glad we saved it because it sure hell was Bellier and Alienation. (laughs) Yeah, man. It'll wipe that taste out of your mouth. (laughs) Uh, cool. That's it. Enjoy it and uh, enjoy the rest of the month. Yeah. Garage. I'm Corey Culp. I'm Freddie Woff. You already see it. It's deep cover. And you're probably wondering to yourself, how the fuck does this fit in with buddy cop movies or buddy buddy movies or whatever? Well, aren't they buddies? Well, <laughs> it's an interesting way. I think if you kind of look at it with a skewed point of view, uh, yeah, you, you've, you've got Lauren, you know, Lawrence Fishburne in this. This, I mean, God damn it. Where are we, where are we at with him? This is coming. This is right off of uh, Boys in the Hood, man. Yeah, yeah. Bill Duke directing just the second movie after Rage in Harlem, which I also love. Bill Duke has such a defined voice in this movie, and while, it, like we talked about with Alienation, it being such a to its detriment, f- a familiar looking like a movie. paint by numbers. Yeah, this has things that you've seen. If you've ever seen deep cover from 92 then when you get around to watching it now it's going to feel like other things but those other things have come after this there's there's lots of things that it picked up you know little little greatest hits of other movies they put in this very much like a little bit of scarface a little bit of well there's a little new jack city kind of vibe to it speaking of new jack city i'm going to get to this part right away this soundtrack (laughs) fuck dude yep this soundtrack was huge and not just huge. It was career starting for a lot of people. I mean, everybody, people who were aware of hip hop at the time knew who Dr. Dre was from NWA. But he put out a single. This is ahead of the chronic. This is ahead of the chronic. And that single debuted Snoop Dogg on his first recorded track ever. And it ended up being a major release. And you hear it at the closing credit, just very much like you hear. 187 on a motherfucking cop. <laughs> right. When you hear colors at the end of colors, where Ice T's colors. But this, dude, the soundtrack is great in this. There's so much about, you, you get the vibe right away, but you had sent me a note saying this movie's very 90s. Yeah, totally. 
it screams 90s, but it doesn't feel like how alienation felt where it felt stuck in the 80s. It, it, it didn't, it, it no, was no, fine. No. It was, it was a lot the way, uh, same way that even though that presidents was supposed to take place in the 70s, it still felt like a 90s version of the 70s. It kind of feels like it, you can feel the style going on there. But Bill Duke's voice lends itself to not feel like a cookie cutter 90s movie. No, no, no. This this movie definitely has it. I mean, it, I, when I say it's a 90s movie, I just meant like, I meant it in a good way. Because I oh, mean, yeah. it's funny, like the 90s, I feel like gets shit on as a decade. There's a lot, there's a lot of different things going on in the 90s. But the one thing that they were doing really well in the 90s were all these sort of like the second, third wave of like noir film, yeah. you know? Yeah. And the funny thing about a 90s movie is when you look at, the costume design, right? <laughs> it's the one thing <laughs> that you could look, if you didn't know anything about this movie, you wandered into a dark theater, you would know this movie was made around 1992 to 1995. Right. Just by the outfits. Right. And isn't it, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this, is this a uh, Fishburne's last movie as Larry? Didn't he become Lawrence uh, yeah. shortly after this? Like before the, uh, before love, what's love got to do with it? For some reason, I don't know what it is. Maybe I, I always, maybe it just, just the way I kind of always looked at it. I thought Nightmare 3, he went by Lawrence. It could be wrong. Uh, I'm checking it right now. No, Larry, yeah, okay. Because maybe because I just knew better. <laughs> I knew what he was going by. No, yeah, I think you're right. But you know something else? Again, 90s movie, and you're talking about the outfits. It feels like a certain range. So, but if you didn't know this was 92, would you know this is one year away from Jurassic Park? Jeff Goldblum looks so different in this than he does just a year later. Right? He looks like he's 10 years older in Jurassic Park than he does in this. Yeah. You know what else is weird is like, I feel like this was the first time. I don't know what happened after The Fly. I feel like Jeff Goldblum had his biggest fucking hit of his career. You know, he fucking, he's taking his shirt off. He's buffed his shit. Like, and then he disappears. And then I don't, I don't remember. I mean, I could go back and look. I'm sure there's other things where I'd be like, oh, of course. But I don't really remember. There, like, there's like a six-year gap. Like, Jeff Goldblum had a giant hit movie and then fell into a hole until Deep Cover. He did a lot of stuff in the UK. He started doing that thing that a lot of actors do where they take a nice little paycheck to go film in the Mediterranean or something like that, not really caring about what the movie was about. That one of those movies was Vibes, the one he did with Cindy Lauper. Yep, which I do love. Earth, Girl, Earth Girl's easy the same year. But the tall guy, Yep, the, the tall guy, which I love where he plays a, an actor. In it, and he's like, he's, we, what was the movie we were talking about? It's, it's all like an all British cast with like one American in there. Kind of like, you know, the, the, yeah, like that. Because the Guy Ritchie thing, he the gentleman happened and it happened. Rock and Roller, same thing here. But also, probably one of my favorite performances from him came in 1990 was Mr. Frost. Yeah. It was these smaller, these were all non-American movies. That's kind of why I think he fell off a lot of people's radars. Then he came back around, and then Deep Cover was his first feature, Thence the Fly, based on those smaller movies and stuff. But yeah. Didn't he do, he did an Altman movie. Well, yeah, he has a, you know, he has a cameo as himself in The Player. No, no, he did uh, Beyond Therapy. Julie Haggerty. Yeah, that was the year after. Right after The Fly. Right after The Fly, right. And that was kind of a, Dud. Yeah. I, I got to say, what's funny about the cover is that it was co-written by Mark, Michael Tolkien. I, he, funny enough, he has worked with, I mean, a lot of people. He wrote Gleaming the Cube with our buddy, Archutabala, actor. You guys know him from the Stone Age and lots of other things, but he's in, in Gleaming the Cube played uh, Christian Slater's little brother. Tolkien, like, again, he did, he wrote Deep Impact, Changing Lanes, 
And the Rapture, which is kind of underrated as far as I'm concerned. Get a little Mimi Rogers up in you. Oh, and Henry Bean also uh, wrote this one with him. We talked about with alienation about how cookie cutter that is. And even the wrong cookie cutter, like like the eggs were spoiled in the cookie dough or something, that kind of cookie cutter. It's it's not very good for a lot of reasons. But again, you got familiar aspects of, of the movie here. We got a very young Russell Stevens Jr. that who will grow up to be our lead. Um, watching his alcoholic, drug-addicted father getting murdered after he robbed the liquor store. Dressed as Santa. That that moment, wow, Did you would, you would not have seen that. I don't recall ever seeing just the composition, this point of view, just dads getting guts all splattered against the, against the window. Yeah, the man. Car. It was just, wow. It's, it's no surprise that when he, he grows up that Russell Stevens Jr. becomes a cop. He's like, I'm never going to be that guy. Um, goes in for his interview uh, to who we don't know. We don't know what's going on with him yet. We see a couple of people get interviewed ahead of time by the most off-putting performance from Charles Martin Smith. I've ever, I've never thought ever, you're not supposed to dislike Charles Martin Smith in anything. No, man. He's the accountant. He's the accountant. American graffiti. American graffiti. When you see him ask the question, or in this case, it's supposed to be a joke. It's not funny. It, it, but it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to, he, he's interviewing all these black officers coming in and I'm not going to tell the, the line because I'm not cool with the word, obviously. I'm not even like, I'm not even going to refer to the abbreviated quote unquote acceptable version of it just using the letter because I think that's just a, my take by saying the letter. You know what I mean? It's a cop out. It's a way of still saying the word. Yeah, no, I hear you. He is tremendous in the movie. Every time he shows up, I'm like, oh, that motherfucker. I'm like, I'm never going to see American Graffiti again or or The Untouchables the same way again because it's Or like, Never Cry Wolf. Or never Cry Wolf. I just I'm going to be rooting for him to die. He is such a dirtbag in it. But it's what well, we see that that's the New Jack City aspect of it too. You know, we got a lot of that from, from People's Junior. Yep. He does, he does the same thing. You think he's on his side, except for actually, in all fairness, Carver's a dick from the moment you see him. But you kind of think that in Marvin Peoples is the helpful guy. But he's like, no, no, no. We just we just want this. At the end of this, it's the same kind of situation. He's like, now he's kind of backpedaling, going, no, no, no. We got the guy we wanted. It's it's very similar in that respect. But the cast in this one, fuck, dude. Oh yeah, man. It's solid. We talked about again. Charles Martin Smith is one of those guys you don't see in roles like this. You know, you don't see in roles like this is Gregory Sierra. Yeah, man. To me, he's he's Barbosa. He's he's Barney Miller guy. He's my guy on soap. He's Chico from San Francisco. Yes, man. I can't see this. It just the whole time. Julio. He had a goat named Chico. Right. I stand corrected. Right. He doesn't take but two scenes before I'm like, all right, dude. I I don't remember those shows anymore. <laughs> I forgot. Dude, do you remember when he? Do you remember the first season of Miami Vice when he was Castillo? Yeah, my yes. And he just passed away in 2021, I think. Always solid, Gregory Sierra. Yeah, it was weird to see him show up. And he's almost unrecognizable. Yeah. It's funny because I, I just realized I had just watched this. I the, the Criterion release of this came out last year on my birthday. So it was like it was one of those birthday gifts to myself. It was also that rare thing where I bought a Criterion movie where it wasn't on sale. Because I was like, come on, they have five sales a year. Who else is like in this? Oh, uh, you got Clifton Powell shows up. As Leland, you know, who played Cuddy and did residence. Yeah. And several other things, you know. The, but dude, the 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 ghost, the guy who 
pops in and out of this movie. And every time he shows up, I just want to watch a movie about him is Clarence Williams III. Yep. And, you know, everybody knows how much I love Clarence Williams III, but yeah, his, his role is taft, you know, as, as the moral compass in, in this film. It, it, like I said, every time he shows up on screen, you just want to watch Clarence. It's yeah. crazy, man, because everybody is great in this movie. I mean, to me, this is my favorite Fishburne role, hands down. Every, everything he's done, he's done great things since this. He did great things before this. But this movie, to me, is the movie that elevated him into that phase of his career where he was a leading man. And, he, and his name was number one on the fucking call sheet. His name was dropped in the center of the poster. Deep cover. And it kind of did the same thing for Goldblum. It sort of made Goldblum... You know, like, oh shit, you know, this was a Jeff Goldblum we hadn't seen, you know, right. dude, that when, once he gets into the blow and he, there, I mean, Goldblum goes dark in this movie. Man. Yeah. This is Fishburne's best performance. I, I can't think of it something, I can't think of anything that even comes close to this, in my opinion. Right. Who else do we have in this movie? I, you know, I, I don't want to get all hung up on that stuff yet, but we've got, because there are some other great little performances in this film. One of them by Panita Nichols as Jacqueline. Yep. With, a, with a J. With a J. <laughs> Camela Lopez as Belinda. Mr. Hall. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the um, Alex Colon, who shows up as one of Barbosa's guys, or he's, he, he plays like the kind of little skirt. We've also seen Alex Colon. I feel like Alex Colon, I feel like Alex, isn't he in Stick? Isn't he Sticks, buddy? <laughs> yeah. We can't talk about. Mentioning uh, uh, Russell Stevens Sr. at the beginning and not mentioned that who's playing him, Glenn Turman playing him. Yeah. It was so cool. His, he's only in it briefly, but man, yep. do you do you feel his struggle as a, a man who's addicted but still wants to worry, he's worried about his kid at the same time? It's like he doesn't want to do what he's doing, but he feels like he, he has no choice that, you know, his drugs got a hold of him and he's just doing it because he doesn't have a choice. You can see him torn. There is not a bad performance in this movie. No, and then at that moment, though, what I'm talking about, when they're in the car together, yeah, Junior keeps backing off like Dad's going to hit him, but he never raises his hand. No, he loves his boy, man. Right. You can clearly see that he's hit him before, but you can see that he's struggling to do the right thing for his kid, and he can't. And it's like, it's fucking a great moment. It really sets the movie up well. Yep. But every performance in this is just fucking killer dude lyra angel i kind of expected to see more of her after this movie i mean i, I feel like this was probably the biggest thing she's ever done she was working up until 2012 but dude she is so good in this yep and then really just kind of disappeared you know as far as like making that next step she just didn't make it but again solid performances across the board this i mean and I, you know, that's a credit to duke you know and his yep. probably approach you know, because Bill Duke is one of those actors, man. You've ever seen, have you ever seen a Bill Duke performance? You didn't just, it wasn't stellar. I, I mean, I haven't. No. And cause when we went and saw Mandy that time in the theater, I had already seen it. I don't know if you had seen it yet, but you can tell the people in the crowd that did, hadn't seen the movie yet. Cause when Bill shows up in the movie, there was an audible reaction from people when he showed up. Oh yeah. Oh shit. Bill Duke. Like if that's the kind of thing he does. Like you said, his performances are just, they're always killer. He's always great. Even in that silly ass exit wounds movie that I worked on. He's, he's great in that too. That's something else cool about Bill Duke. And it, and it kind of goes to his directing too. The man likes to work. He doesn't care what it is. It, it might be a little low brow from something he did just a month before that. It doesn't matter to him because he, even though this is only a second feature, he directed a ton of TV before he did rage. So he was very, very experienced behind the camera way before he ever directed his first feature. 
But he's like that with his acting too. He's always been like, I don't know, man, I'll have, let's go have some fun. You know, it's like as not to steal a line from his character, Mac and Predator, you know, going to have me some fun. That's, I feel like that's him, dude. I feel like the dude just wants to work and he just loves the craft so much. He just gets out there and does it. This movie also has a little bit of uh not too much, but I, I would pay, I, I would say sort of, of a little bit like uh, state of grace. Yeah. The Sean Penn film, yeah. you know, it's when undercover cops start to become the thing that they're pursuing. And, and, and Fishburne really does a great, I mean, there's the, 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 there's a scene between Fishburne and Clarence Williams, the third, you know, which one I'm talking about. That, that scene right there is Lawrence Fishburne, you know, there's no doubt that Clarence Williams III wasn't a role model for him from Mod Squad, that kind of stuff. Sure, of course. As a young actor. And watching those two together in that scene, fuck. And, and then Jeff Goldblum stepping in there to kind of like break it up and just kind of, oh man, yeah, great moment, great moment. And that's, that's that thing we talked about before. There's some actors that can make the transition to working behind the camera. There's an actor director and that's the kind of director that Bill Duke is. That's how he's able to get those kind of performances out of people. Rage was, was you could see it there and even more with the drama here, that scene, dude. Yeah. Yeah. That scene doesn't break your fucking heart, dude. It's like, yeah. So good. Well, yeah. I mean, we all, we all kind of know where it's going. You know, it, it, it's really a deep film. (laughs) I mean, there's, there's a lot more, there's a lot more to this movie than on the surface, you know, because these movies in the nineties, again, they were kind of, you know, every other month you were, or every month you were getting this sort of neo-noir take on detective stories or crime. You know, we, we had a lot of that in the early nineties, but this is probably top three of that genre for the nineties. And and that's pretty high praise because there were a lot of really good ones, but it's a movie. It's so funny to go back to and watch because uh, I, I watch it every couple of years. I had some friends who had never seen it. And they're like, hey, man, have you ever seen this deep cover movie? Is it worth watching? I was like, dude, I can't believe we're having this conversation. Of course, it's worth watching. Is it worth watching? Well, you know, I mean, look, somebody's 32 years old, has no fucking idea because they weren't even they were they were born two years before this movie came out. So I get it. But yes, 100%. If, if you haven't seen Deep Cover, you should definitely see Deep Cover. Watch it on the Criterion channel. You know, pick up the Blu-ray if, you know, if you're a collector and you want, because there's a lot of extras in that thing. I still can't find mine. I don't know what the fuck I did with it. <laughs> but I did buy it. It's in my, uh, it's my Amazon history. <laughs> um, one thing I do want to, I want to laugh about real quick with you is James T. Morris as Ivy. Dude, I would have sworn to God it was the guy from Full Force. Yeah. It's not. It's it's funny. I, I never really thought it was, but I used to make the joke that it was. Oh, that dude should just get back in his car and fucking go pick up Lisa Lisa before he gets fucked up. Yeah, there's there's no doubt that 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 was intentional. Bill Duke was kind of clearly going for you know, telling people in wardrobe, people hair makeup. That's what I want, and that's yeah. But it's funny because he. I, I realized when I when I before we started prepping for the episode, looking at the, I realized that James T. Morris was also in An Innocent Man with Tom Selleck and F. Murray Abraham, which I'm a, I'm a big fan of. So it's weird because I would have sworn I'd never seen him anything before. And until this morning when I looked this up, I was like, holy shit, that is Junior. You know, again, it's not, he's, he was never in full force. No. Or, uh, <laughs> you know, he never had anything. He never sang with Lisa Lisa, unfortunately, as far as we know. I want to note, 
I ended up not digging out my Blu-ray. I ended up just watching the Criterion because I have Criterion, so why not? And also, that was uh, a lot of you to report. I already know what the Blu-ray looks like, so I wanted to make sure I could report here how the stream looks. And the stream looks just like the Blu-ray. It looks fucking fantastic. It looks cleaned up, but the proper cleanup where you're still getting all your grain. Because you know what? When Bohan Bazelli is your DP, I want that shit yep. to look fucking good. And no. He, dude, come on, man. I think when we did a commentary for uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice, and Bohan did that for John Turtletop, I think we even mentioned the contrast between deep cover and what he was doing for for Turtletop with the, with Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yep. We love Bohan here. They're, that man's, that dude's filmography, he's a lot like Bill Duke, dude. He just takes the word to work. He just wants to work. He always elevates the, he, oh, he always yeah. elevates the script. It's here again. I say it all the time. It's a DP. It's a production designer. It's your job. Take what's on the page and elevate it, and make it better. And, and he does it consistently. You know, whether it's a big budget movie or you know, this was an eight million dollar movie in 1992. Which right. you know, that's funny because you would never get eight million dollars to make this movie now. Right. They'd be like, it's a tier one, $4 million movie. Right. You probably, you actually, we have about $200,000 to make the movie with. That's some line producers pitch, but you know, what's weird is, is the transfer is good on that disc. Yeah. What I don't really love is the artwork. I love the original poster so much that like that, that artwork on the front, it just kind of seems generic. It's weird. I feel like there's six other boutique Blu-rays that look like that. Like, I don't know why they feel, I feel like they wanted it to look like good time. I'm not a fan of that Criterion artwork on that. That's the only thing I don't like about the disc. If, if that doesn't, you know, if that makes any sense. Because, you know, when you get your Criterions, it comes with a clear case, just like, you know, like when you do it, you get your shout. Sometimes you'll get them like that. But the, the cool thing about them is you can do the reverse thing. Why? It's not, I don't know. I appreciate them wanting to do something different. Let's be honest. There, there's been some unique covers to some of the Criterion releases that are pretty great. I think the game cover is great. I, I think it's. Yeah. It's, I'm not it's, saying they're all bad. No, but no, this no, one I, just doesn't do it for me. Right. I think it's solid, but I agree with you. Usually I'm totally into to, to those editions, uh, uh, but yeah, let me flip this over. Damn it. I want, <laughs> I want to see the other side of it. Do you know, it's funny when they put that, that restoration out last year, uh, the, the re-release last year, um, I was hoping that we were going to get a 4K because, you know, Criterion starting to do 4Ks now because they took the time to do a 4, the, this, the, the Blu-ray you're talking about and the stream have been struck from that brand new 4K restoration they did. But here's the thing. I love, see, Criterion is really good about this when they're doing the restorations. It's like they clean it up, but they don't put all this noise reduction on there. It takes all the beautiful grain out of these movies, especially the older ones. This one, because of the type of movie it is, it looks as clear as it can be as if you were sitting there watching and play it back on a camera or a moviola. You're, you're literally watching that beautiful 35 millimeter version in digital form. It's not all cleaned up with you know noise reduction and bullshit that makes it all look like a fucking uh, Instagram filter. Yep. This movie looks fucking fantastic as gritty and grainy, just like we talked about with New Jack City. Moments. New, this one's consistent throughout the whole thing. It looks the same throughout the whole thing. But like New Jack City, you know, they were using it for for feeling where the, they were changing the, the film stock they were using. So it looks a little different at moments. But this, God, you, we talked about the, it being like certain other movies, but I love how it's a little bit of this thing and a little bit of this thing. Because Jeff Goldblum, we watch Jeff Goldblum become Scarface. We watch him just to a lesser extent anyway. 
Yeah. Just being a, a controlled man going from lawyer to king, you know, drug kingpin, just like that. I loved, dude, one of the things I really thought was cool about it, and now, I don't know, obviously this wasn't intentional back in 92, but think about it for a moment now. With medicinal marijuana and now recreational marijuana in California, the whole West Coast, right? It's legal in all three of the West Coast United States. Yep. How funny is it when they're talking in the movie about having a legal drug the synthetic legal drug that he wanted to get the funding for and to get out of the game and not be working with hoods anymore and be official and be, you know, one with the government and not be, have law enforcement up his ass all the time. Right. It's just that now. I mean, this movie is, is a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but it's definitely its own thing. That's what's funny about it. Like yeah. that, that's why I would say it's definitely one of the better of this genre. Like that's why I say it's top three for if this sort of nineties noir rebirth that, uh, was going on. There are moments in this movie that are scary. There are moments in this movie that are funny. There's moments in this movie that are shocking. And there's moments in this movie that are infinitely sad. Yeah. All while being totally relevant with what's going on at the time in the world that, that the film was made. And a lot of movies don't capture that. Or when you run them back, you know, in hindsight, you're like, eh, it seems heavy handed, but th there's nothing about this movie that ever feels heavy handed. And again, that has to do with the performances, Duke's, work as a director, the way it's lensed. There's not a lot of ostentatious gaudiness to any of it. Right. It's an LA that we probably hadn't seen. I don't know that we've ever seen the, the gritty underworld uh, like that version at that time. There's a dozen movies that all take place. Because this movie takes, a lot of this takes place at night. And we've seen LA a lot at night, especially like in the eight, late 80s, early 90s. But it, not this version of L.A. And that, that's one of the things that when I was watching it, I was thinking, God, this is such a trip, man. Like the colors and the night, what night looked like then, that world that, you know, because I was out in the eight, late 80s, early 90s. But I, that, that world was still foreign to me when I saw it because, you know, I, I was running around in Hollywood. And a lot of this takes place in Hollywood seen a little bit of it, but not, you know, I mean, they did a, re they did a really great job of capturing what was happening right. in the time in Hollywood during 91, 92. Yep. And Fishburne's only 31 years old. I in this fucking know. <laughs> I was talking to somebody recently about, about him. Uh, it was Joey. I was talking to Joey about him because we were talking about why he wasn't in the last Matrix movie. And I'm like, and we were talking about other movies that he's done. Like when I told him he'd done a nightmare on Elm Street, he's like, well, he did what? I'm like, yeah, dude. But then when I told him he started with being in Apocalypse Now, wasn't he, didn't he lie about how old he was with Apocalypse Now? He lied, now? yeah. He was, because yeah. uh, he was born in 61. I think he was like 13 when they started filming it, 14. <laughs> he lied and said he was 18. It was so red. But where would we be right now if you didn't have, if you didn't have that kind of tenacious aspect to his craft, man? Even at, even as a teenager, he was like, fuck this. This is Francis Ford Coppola. I want to make this movie with him and I'm going to say whatever the fuck I got to make this movie. Yeah. You had texted me about a double bill with, and we probably get to this at the end of it. We're getting towards the end. I don't want to forget this because it just kind of came to mind. Something we've talked about covering the show more than once. It's been on a list. And then for whatever reason, it's fallen off the list. My double feature would be cover and bad company. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, those are good ones. That, yeah. those, that, and again, bad company is part of that wave that started here and that pushed Fishburne into like leading man. Your face is on the poster now. Yep. I feel like that just cause with him and, uh, Connery. Yep. That's solid too. Another solid movie. You know, what's love got to do with it? Obviously. If, if I was going to pair it, let me go, let me do that before I 
digress again. Uh, if I was going to pair this movie, I would pair this movie with Ghost Dog. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities thematically and also just a lot of the way the soundtrack and the scores are used to tell a story that we've seen before in a different way. And I feel this movie does it really well. And Ghost Dog obviously does it really well. So I don't want to go on about Ghost Dog because we'll at some point we're going to end up covering that too. But th- that would be my, like if I could program two movies at the uh, the New Beverly, those would be the two movies I would pair this and Ghost Dog. And again, if you want, if you're interested in watching your pairing there, uh, you can watch them both on Criterion. Ghost Dog is there. That's what I did. And I know this 100% because I just recently, when I was doing stuff on the couch, the laptop, I pulled up Ghost Dog on Criterion just to watch it in the background. And then I saw that they had an isolated music score and then that's what I played. So they have so much of what's on their Blu-ray releases and DVD releases, all the extra stuff that make the channel. They really advanced the channel greatly. It's really improved quite a bit. But like I noted earlier, that the deep cover transfer is fantastic. There's your, it's, you know, it's one of those movies that even though we can kind of dance around the plot and praise certain things, we get to a certain point of praise where we like that scene you're talking about. We can't say anything more. It's like, it's like you don't want to ruin stuff for people because it's. Yeah. Especially people who haven't seen the movie. I mean, I don't, I, I could sit here and I could tell you exactly what happens and when it happens and what happens next. But I mean, to me, like, you know, these movies that we're talking about, we're, we're bringing them up talking and watching them and talking about them, either loving them or not loving them. Yeah. But I'm not here to do a play-by-play breakdown of the, of the movie. Like the movie is no. meant to watch. Yeah. I'm just throwing these things out. Like this, these are things that stood out to me then and they still stand out to me now. Yeah. I would be an asshole if I was to ruin that for somebody who hadn't seen this, because I think this is an important movie, especially for the nineties. You know, it's an important movie for Bill Duke. It's an important movie for Fishburne. It's an important movie for Goldblum at the time. And to be talking about it 30 years later, 1992 to 2022, it's really held the test of time. It, it's as relevant now as it was 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. Another one, like you're talking about that, that window of time, something else that's having its 25th anniversary this year. Bill Duke and Larry Fishburne reunite in 97 with Tim Roth. And as Lucky Luciano, <laughs> Andy Garcia, Hoodlum is another yeah, one. That, also Clarence Williams III. Yep. Also a fantastic movie. It just, Bill Duke, he, he raises the pedestrian to something really, really watchable. And I'm not saying a deep covers pedestrian. If you saw the log line, it sounds pedestrian. It's not. Rage in Harlem sounds pedestrian. It's not. Hoodlum sounds like you've seen it before. You haven't. Right. Yeah. No, 97 is another good year for, you know, it's leading up to the Matrix. But here's an, here, 1987, Hoodlum and Event Horizon came out within a couple of weeks of each other. Yes. I was going to say this when we were covering, I forgot what movie it was, where we were both hitting on the points like, here's this movie. And then later on in the year that you're going to get another. It was probably, I think it was Alien Nation, where we were recognizing the fact that we were getting two movies that were pretty big in somebody's career. Like as far as a, a performer, we, we got that so much in the nineties, late or eighties and early nineties. But how rare is it now for somebody to do more than one movie a year? Right. And it's not the pandemic talking here. It's just people are making their movie and then they're spending six, seven, eight weeks promoting it. And it's like, it's, it's exhausting these days for some people to make a movie and promote it. You used to get two, three movies a year from some actors. Cause they were just, they were just hungry to work. Yeah. I mean, you, you still get it now. I mean, mostly character actors, not right. like you're not, but not guys who are carrying the movie. No. Somebody could say, hey, these are both ensemble pieces. 
yes, true. But Larry Fishburne's name is is the first name on the poster. And, you know, those movies came out two weeks apart in August. August 15th for Event Horizon, August 27th for Hoodlum, 1997, uh, the year of our Lord. <laughs> but, I mean, it's funny, man. Fishburne has been in a ton of movies that I, you know, I, I've loved. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I gravitated because, but I would say possibly it gravitated to them all from this performance in deep cover. Cause I got to say, man, like I said earlier, this is by far my favorite Fishburne performance. They're all, I, I've not seen him ever do it, turn in a bad performance, but this film is, is the jumping off point for me. I mean, I, I was totally aware of who he was. I loved him in Rumblefish. Yeah. From deep cover moving forward, Fishburne was a guy. If, if he was in the movie, I'm, I'm in it. I'm going to see it. Yeah. He's that draw. You know, Joey and I were just watching the Wick movies. Well, he were, because the John Wick 4 trailer just come out, we were watching. He goes, I'm going to watch the other two because he's only seen the first one. So he watched the second one. Of course, he shows up in that. And he's, of course, he's. you see him in the trailer for the fourth one. Joey, I mean, that, that's really Joey's connection for him. You know, Mike, to him, it's like it, he is morpheus that's really the first thing he ever saw him in i, I kind of give it to him but he's like he he loves watching lawrence fishburne he like he's the best part because like we get to the end of the second movie he's like uh second wick and he's like wait that's all he's in this and i'm like don't worry he comes back but he's <laughs> but he's that kind of guy man he's just one of those performers that just draws you in like you noted if you're not aware he's in the movie when he shows up you're like awesome but he's also the guy that pulls us in and puts us in the seat to begin with yep he's fucking great and everything he, a lot of the 80s movies and 90s movies, like I, we were talking about the movie Shattered on the side. We were talking about movies that we don't get to see anymore. Those sexy crime thrillers that, or not crime, but sexy thrillers of that time. And Shattered is one of those ones that as much as I love it, we can't cover it on the show. It'd be five minutes long. Yep. It's just that kind of movie you can't discuss. You just say to somebody, hey, watch that movie. And you say nothing more about it. Let me know when you've seen it. You don't want to talk any more about it because you're afraid of just saying too much to telephone something from it. You know, you just don't want to ruin it for somebody. And that's one of those movies. This is one of those movies too. Like we, you don't want to ruin anything. Just say there's fucking badass performances in it and great score. It looks beautiful. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, man. I mean, I got, I've really got nothing to add. I could keep waxing this movie, but uh, you know, there's no need to, right. you know, watch it and wax it yourself. We talked about Bill took a lot right here. And we've talked on and off about Ernest Dickerson and those two guys, they both have the same kind of impact behind a camera. I mean, one comes from being in front of the camera. One is the camera. Right. <laughs> but they both make similar kind of movies. And I don't mean that from the point of view of a black man. I'm talking about the point of view of telling human stories and they're both so fucking great at it. That's why I'm surprised that I didn't pair up something Ernest Dickerson with this because of, but Bill Duke, man, I'm glad the man's still working because he's a badass. Lawrence Fishburne, I'm glad the man's still working. What's the fucking thing he's just he's just doing where he's a preacher? Yeah, it's on Showtime. Yeah, it's a right? series. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I haven't seen it yet. I just saw it. I just know that it's, it, it's a thing. I've seen the trailer a million times. It was on, I saw it like 25 times last night during uh, Bellator. You know what, Liz, before we, before we cut this loose, I want to just say this. So Bill Duke, after Rage in Harlem and Deep Cover, goes on to direct... The Cemetery Club and Sister Act 2. Yes. <laughs> can have it. Uh, so look, man, there's like really like nothing to do, can't do. Or, well, I mean, I mean, 
those are just those just seem like odd movies, man. <laughs> for right. the guy who directed Rage in Harlem and Deep Cover to jump right into the Cemetery Club with Ellen Burstyn, Olympia Dukakis, and Diane Ladd, right? It's just it's it's uh, it's a testament to his knowledge and skill as a filmmaker to be able to navigate from that to this kind of odd octogenarian comedy. Is that what yeah, you'd call Cemetery that, Club? There were a bunch of these kind of movies in the early nineties, late eighties. I blame uh, steel magnolias. Yeah. First wives club to a lesser degree. Yeah. It's, it's sure. All of them, but it goes to what we were talking about before. He is an actor's director. He's that guy. Yep. So no surprise there. And you know, there's definitely, Hey, but at least there's a crime element to sister act too. Sure. <laughs> But look at that, man. This is to do such heavy shit like he did and does. I'm sure it was a nice creative break for him to to not be working with such heavy shit, you know? Yeah, man. I mean, look, again, I, I don't, I'm not knocking it. I'm just, oh, no, it's no, such no. an odd thing. But I would no, never, that's, but that's if somebody I mean. would have told me if I didn't know, I just showed up on this planet and watched Deep Cover. And then they said, <laughs> hey, you should, if you like that movie, you should check out Cemetery Club. I feel like, what? <laughs> Same director. What? Yeah, just yeah. Uh, you know, just just something I thought I would throw out there because I remember sort of, but when I was looking up doing for the episode, I was like, "Holy shit!" Bill Duke went right to Cemetery Club after this movie. I would have sworn there was something else in there in between, and then Cemetery Club was like, "Yeah, studio movie, man." And then then I then I saw the Sister Act thing, and I was like, "Holy shit!" I totally forgot about all of that. Yep, he's tremendous, and uh, I think he's currently setting up uh, to do a Joe Lewis biopic. Yeah, that's what I hear. Which I, God, I can't wait for him. Yeah, I hope, he, I hope he's well enough and healthy because our heroes seem to be tapping out early these days. Anyway, cool. Uh, well, right. it's still there at Karate Pot on the Twitter. <laughs> it's still there. Karate Pot also on Letterboxd and Insta. You can follow Corey on Insta. Corey underscore Culp on Letterboxd and Culprit97 on Insta. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Rock and Roll 33 on Instagram. Or you could follow me as Tom Cody on Letterboxd. Tom Cody on Letterboxd. I thought I was waiting for the goof. But. I was too, but I totally forgot what I was going to say. So. <laughs> it's not important. It's, it's not important. I just went back to the back to Tom Cody. Yeah, that's fair.